Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3 this morning, and we'll look at together, Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. To anger, I'm sorry, lest they be discouraged. There's a great epidemic sweeping across our land. It's not new, and it gets worse every year. There's no vaccine for this. No matter how hard scientists may work, they will not find a cure. Statistically, this is an epidemic with only a 33% survival rate. 33%, that means 66% will not make it. What is this epidemic? Well, we had all the boys and girls stand up here a few minutes ago. Some others still in with us now and the youth and young people with us. Statistically speaking, two-thirds of them will have disappeared from the church by the time they're 21. That doesn't mean that they lost it in college. It means they lost it long before then. Those are not good statistics. I have five children. I want all five to go on for the Lord. It's not acceptable to me that even one would not go forward. But this is the reality that we live in today. And I think we see the fruits of that played out as we watch what's going on in the world around us, as we watch our TVs and our social media feeds. We live in a culture and in a place where the family is broken. A few weeks ago, we talked about the husband and wife relationship, and that truly is the nucleus of the family. You can have a family without children, but a family begins with marriage, and so as goes the marriage, so goes the family. As goes the family, so goes the church, and as goes the church, so goes the nation and the world. But moving beyond just the husband-wife relationship, now to the parent-child relationship, here in these two verses, it doesn't matter whether you are a parent or a child. All of us is one or the other. Or perhaps maybe you say, well, my childhood years are far behind me and I don't have my children of my own. You still have a tremendous impact in the children of our church. It is a team effort, isn't it? I just sent my children out with somebody else's parent. Babies are being watched this morning by someone else's mother. Tonight, our children will be taught by someone else's mother, grandmother, or father. I'm thankful for every single adult in our church that has a part in ministering to our boys and girls. Because I believe we can do better. I believe we can do better and we can beat the statistics, so to speak. But we're not going to 
do anything to change the status quo if we live our life in the same manner that the culture says how families should function. In these two verses, while they're very simple, there's not a lot of complex, deep theological thoughts here. But this is foundational. This is where the rubber meets the road. And parents, we could give our children every possible experience. We could buy them every luxury. We could give them every bit of education possible. And yet if they leave our home someday and they walk away from the Lord, I think we would say, it would be a great disappointment. Not just a disappointment, a heartache, a trial, and a concern. But this whole issue is not just laid at the feet of parents. There's also here a command, and that's where we'll begin this morning, a command to children. Because I believe this, that it, based on Colossians chapter 3, because we are risen with Christ, parents and their children can live in a relationship that is both mutually beneficial and glorifying to God. So boys and girls, this is for you. Teenagers, this is for you. It's easy to blame all of our problems on our parents. And you hear people do it, even who are adults, still blaming all their problems on their parents. And parents, it's easy to blame all of your problems on your kids. But there's enough here for all of us to apply to our own hearts, I believe, so that we can learn and grow together, so that we don't fall prey to this great epidemic sweeping our nation. And even if you say, well, my kids are already gone, we can still pray for them and reach out to them, and we have an opportunity going forward. We can't go back and change the past. We have no control over the past. All we have control over is the moment in which we live. So it's our opportunity today before God to say, Lord, based on your word, I want to do what you would have me to do. And with your strength and by your grace, because I can't do this in my own strength, I will live a life that is honoring to you and follows after your plan for the family. Colossians 3, verse 20. This is where our first portion of the message comes. Children. All right, children, I'm talking to you. I know it's easy to say, well, I've, I'm a little bit older now. You're probably still somebody's child. If you're not out on your own, paying your own way, living completely on your own, autonomous of your parents, I think you very clearly still fall in this category of children. So it's not talking to just babies. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. We see very simply here the responsibility of children to obey. God is speaking directly to children. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul here, he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae, and he does it again in the, in the letter that he writes to the church at Ephesus. 
That's probably the first verse a lot of parents teach their children. Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. I think my parents were quoting that to me when I was still in my mother's womb. You know. They're probably watching on live stream this morning. And so maybe they can correct that later. But we want our children to learn how to obey. But this is not just a command that parents give to their kids. Hey, you need to obey me. Rather, this is a command directly from God to children. Children, obey your parents in all things. Faithful obedience for the child, I would say, based on Colossians 3, is only truly possible if that child is risen with Christ. Right? Going clear back to the first part of this chapter. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And this flows out of that, I believe. So children, obey your parents in all things. Boys and girls, you need to know that you are risen with Christ. If you're struggling to obey your parents, make sure that you've given your heart to your Heavenly Father and that you're His child. That you're saved. Because if you're not saved, obeying your parents really is impossible to do it like you should. And even as a believer, this is a challenge. This is a hard thing. That's why He's commanding us to do it. We don't have to be told to do things that are easy or that just, you know, we don't have to think about. No, we have to be told to do the things that are difficult for us, that are a challenge for us. And so this is something that's only possible by the grace of God. But I think we can see here very simply, as it says, this is well-pleasing unto the Lord, that to disobey your parents is also to disobey God. Back in the summer of 2001, I just graduated from high school. I turned 18 that summer. And I left the day after graduation, well, two days after, we had Sunday, I may have even left Sunday afternoon, I don't remember now, but left to go work a summer at Southland Christian Camp. We still send our boys and girls there, and it's a special place in my heart. I worked there that summer. The next summer, I went back to work again. That's the summer I met Shandy. And one of the things I did while I was working at camp was I washed dishes, I mowed grass, I weeded it, I painted, cleaned. I cleaned a lot of toilets that summer. My mom had trained us to do those things at home, washing dishes and cleaning bathrooms and all that stuff. But boy, I got the, you know, the full bore, the full load when I went to work at camp. I wasn't just having to clean the bathroom once or twice a week at the house. No, at camp. We cleaned all of the bathrooms every day, and I was on bathroom cleaning duty. Got really good at cleaning toilets that summer. I'm no stranger to the porcelain bowl. He and I have, be, have had very close communion many times. And it's maybe not like you're thinking. It's because I was down there hugging it, cleaning it, and uh, then going back and cleaning up myself. Each and every day we would go through, this was the rules have changed now, my kids are just shocked to hear this, but we cleaned all the cabin bathrooms every day. Now, 
the girls' bathrooms were worse than the boys' bathrooms. I don't know. It's just how it was. Hey, I was the one cleaning the toilets, so your experience may be different, but you can't argue with my experience. <laughs> At that time, there was something like 14 girls' cabins and, and, I, and about that many boys' cabins plus the others. So, you know, give or take, I was cleaning 40 toilets a day. And we had a very tight time limit in which to do it. That was not my favorite job that I did at camp. <laughs> and I was glad to be able to pass that on to somebody else. And I had that opportunity a few weeks later when they needed an extra help one week because they had a lot of junior campers, fourth through sixth grade boys. And they put me in the cabin with those boys. And they said, all right, it's your job to take them from point A to point B to make sure none of them die. You know, that all of them have everything they need, that they get to chapel on time, that they get to the games on time. And, and then it's your responsibility to spend time in God's Word with them and teach them the truth. And I was their counselor. I really enjoyed doing that. The first morning, well, so they all came in on Monday, and so Monday night, Got them all to bed, and I was exhausted from carrying all of their luggage and all of their stuff and getting them situated. And I was just trying to do the best that I could. I was running back and forth and doing everything, trying to be the best counselor I could. I got them all to bed, or so I thought. And I fell into my bed exhausted, went to sleep. The next morning I woke up, I turned over and looked at the alarm clock. Now, I was supposed to be at the counselor prayer meeting at 6.30 in the morning. You had to go to the counselor prayer meeting and then come back and make sure that your campers were awake so you could get them ready and do cabin cleanup and, and then get them to the flagpole for flag raising and then breakfast and, and the schedule on and on it would go. Well, that morning when I rolled over and looked at my alarm clock, it said 9.20 a.m. What a great start. All of a sudden, cleaning all those toilets didn't seem so bad anymore. Here I was, I, my mind began to race. I, I was supposed to have these 10 little boys that were in my charge. I was supposed to have them through cabin cleanup, through breakfast. They were supposed to be sitting in chapel. I leapt out of bed and I looked around and all the boys were sound asleep. Thought, okay, well, at least that much is good. <laughs> Nobody has gotten lost in the lake. I ran out the front door of the cabin was in cabin 12, for those of you who've been to South, you know what I'm talking about. Ran out the door of cabin 12, and I looked out, and the sun was just coming up over the trees. My mind began to whir, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? And so I walked back inside the cabin, and I pulled my watch off the nightstand. It had kind of fallen down next to it there, next to my alarm clock, and I looked at it. My clock said, my watch said 625. But, oh, my heart just, you know, came down out of my throat a couple notches. And I began to walk around the cabin. And all, then my eyes were opened and I started to see things that I hadn't seen before. I noticed duct tape stuck to the wall where there had been no duct tape the night before. I noticed bits of shaving cream here and there around the floor. These are junior campers. I didn't have any junior campers that needed shaving cream. But several evidently had packed a few extra items. 
duct tape and shaving cream, just to name a couple of them, to bring to camp with them to have some pranks on the first night. And me being the naive first-time counselor, not knowing what he was doing, fell asleep on the job. I had done the best that I knew how, but I quickly fell asleep and missed it all. Well, I know I've made this kind of a long story, but it's quite an interesting one. So I got everything cleaned up. We got everybody throughout the day. But that night, I knew something had to change. And so instead of just falling into the bed exhausted and going to sleep, now my senses were on a hair trigger. I got the boys laid down in their beds. I said, all right, it's lights out. It's time to go to sleep. I laid them down. And I went around the corner where my bed was, and I laid down on it. And as I laid there with my eyes wide awake, I knew that I would not go to sleep until every single one of them was sound asleep. And having been a boy myself, I knew what a fake sleeper looked like and what a real sleeper looked like. I know, boys and girls, sometimes you think you can get by with it. Moms and dads usually know. Even if they pretend that they don't notice, they know. So I waited until I, I thought they were getting still, and I started to relax a little bit, and then all of a sudden I heard a little squeak of the spring. I'm very thankful for squeaky springs on camp cots that alert the camp counselor that something is afoot. And, and so I quickly leapt out of bed, and I came around, and here was a boy kind of rolling over to the side, getting ready to start making plans with his friend. I started to hear the whispers, and I said to him, Hey, it's lights out. You need to be quiet and lay still. He laid back thinking, Okay, I'll do that. And so I went back and laid down on my bed and waited a couple more minutes, and it was getting quiet, and I thought, This is good. And then all of a sudden, I heard some more noise. I came around the corner again, and... They, they were up there trying to talk and make plans again. I said, boys, I told you to be quiet. It's time to go to sleep. So I went back around to my side, and then I heard them whispering again and the creaking starting up again. So I thought, this time I'm going to have a little bit of fun. Now, I wasn't a big bad dad at that point in time. I think I just had my 18th birthday, so I'm figuring all this out. So I got down on my belly on the floor. And I crawled in the dark of the cabin like a snake all the way back to where their be bunk bed was. And this one boy was on the top bunk, and I came slipping up the side of his bed. And, I, and he's talking like this, kind of towards the wall, but talking to his friend behind his head. And I slid up next to his bed where I was standing right there at that top bunk. For me, top bunk level is here. For some of you, I know it's here, but for me, it's here. And... All of a sudden, he turned over to say something to his friend, and as he turned over, his face came right to my face. And he goes, oh! <laughs> turned back the other way. And I said, why are you still talking? He said, well, you're not my dad. You've probably heard that response before if you've worked with children. You're not my mom. I said, no, I'm not. But your parents sent you to camp this week. 
And on the camp form, they, they signed a little place where it said that they were sending you to camp, and you actually signed a place where you said, coming to camp, you were going to abide by the rules of the camp. I said, I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad, and I'm glad. <laughs> but your parents have taken the authority that God has given to them and have given me some of that authority this week. I have the authority to tell you it's time to go to sleep. It's time to be quiet. He said, by disobeying me, it's not really me that you're hurting. He said, you're really disobeying your parents who sent you. And ultimately, it's not just your parents that you're hurting. I said, God gave them that authority. I said, you're ultimately disobeying God. Now, this was a deep theological thought for a junior camper at 1030 at night on a Monday night of summer camp. But I saw the wheels begin to turn in his head, and he looked at me, and he said, Why do you have to bring God into it? <laughs> that was a good, honest question, by the way, and a good a, a response that probably comes out of a lot of our hearts sometimes when it comes to these things. Why do you have to go and bring God into it? Well, because God is in charge of everything. Because He's God. And children, obeying your parents is one of the primary ways that you please the Lord. If you want to please God, you'll obey your parents. So rebellion or disobedience towards your parents is to disobey God. And in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, as God is showing us His character, His justice, and specifically His holiness, in the Old Testament, we see that God dealt with rebellion directly. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 through 9, He says, Sanctify yourselves therefore. He's speaking to the children of Israel. Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy. He says, for I am the Lord your God. Peter referenced this when he said, be ye holy as I am holy. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. I think it's interesting, though, to note here as well in verse 20 that there is an expectation of children to be able to hear this command. Paul writes this whole letter to the church at Colossae, and he expected boys and girls to be able to hear this. Parents, this is why it's important that our children be in church. This is, important, this is why it's important for you to be teaching them God's Word at your home. Because they need to hear the truth directly from God as well. If God intended it to be directly from Him here in the book of Colossians to the children at the church in Colossae, then I think God intends for the children of the church at Arise to also hear the truth that they are to obey their parents because this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The child that wants to please God will obey his parents. Now again, 
This is a struggle. This is hard. Your parents are not perfect. Just like the wife may say about her husband, right? He's not perfect. But that does not take away the responsibility that children have to obey mom and dad. Why? Because this is how, boys and girls, you can please the Lord. And if you don't want to please God, there's where your real problem is. Ask God to forgive you. Confess that sin to God and ask Him to help you to obey Him and to obey your parents. But I want to move along here to verse 21 because I think really these two verses work so much hand in hand. Children are to obey their parents, but then at the end of verse 21, we see this, lest they be discouraged, right? Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Well, what are we trying to not discourage them about, right? Or, or what are we trying to, why are we trying to keep them from being discouraged? So that they will please the Lord, right? We want them to please the Lord. We want, don't want to discourage them in pleasing the Lord. So, fathers, this is addressed specifically to you. It is in the Greek that way, if you wondered. But, mothers, this doesn't take you out of the equation either. Because, biblically, this is fathers were the head of the home, but mothers were right alongside. So, this is not seen as something separate, that there's some other command to moms, like, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But, mothers... You can make them upset all that you want. That's not what it says. So, mothers, you're included in this as well. Fathers, provoke not your children to, to wrath or to anger. Parents who provoke their children to anger will discourage them. So the question might be asked, well, how do you provoke your child to anger? I wrote down, five ways that you could probably come up with others, of ways you could provoke your child to anger. One would be saying one thing and doing another will frustrate your child and provoke them to anger. Parents, what you say matters. But if what you do doesn't match up with what you say, you will provoke your child to anger and discourage them. That puts a lot of onus on us as parents in our own spiritual walk with God. There was a family that came and started visiting our church in Indiana when I was a youth pastor there. We ended up becoming great friends. But when they first attended our church, the, the husband, the dad, came and talked to me. And he said, I, I feel like I need some help. So I took him, and we got the continue book, and we started going through a Bible study together. And as we, he began to grow in his walk with the Lord, we also began to talk about parenting and his kids and his marriage and all the other challenges and struggles in his life. He was very concerned about his boys because they didn't seem as interested about spiritual things as he was. One of his boys was 13 at the time, and I said, well, think about it. He's had 13 years to see you live a certain way, and now all of a sudden, you've decided that you're going to serve God. He's had 13 years of experience with you not serving God. 
So don't expect him to be able to make the switch right away. Give him time. He's waiting to see if you're real or not. Or he's waiting to see if this is just another phase that dad is going through. He took that to heart and he began to faithfully work with his children. Faithfully bring them to church. Faithfully read his Bible and began to make changes in his life. And God did a great work in that family. One Sunday in church, I looked out and I did not see their family with us in attendance that day. Didn't think a lot of that. Just like if you're not here one Sunday, I assume maybe not feeling well, you're on vacation, something came up. Obviously, if you miss multiple times, you're going, well, what's going on? Are they okay? You know, did something happen? But it was just one Sunday, and I didn't think anything of it. So the next Saturday morning when we met to do our Bible study, he came in. He said, Pastor, I, I want to apologize for not being at church Sunday. I said, oh, it's okay. I wasn't worried about it. It's okay. You don't have to apologize to me. This was all kind of on his own. He said, well, well, Saturday night they had the monster truck rally, and we went down to that, and we ended up staying out really late. And so by the time we got home, it was after midnight. I was tired, and the kids were tired, and I looked over my wife, and I said, we're, we're just tired. Let's sleep in tomorrow morning. We're not going to make it to church. He said, so Sunday morning came, and I was sitting in the living room, you know, in my pajamas, drinking a cup of coffee. And he said, down the stairs came my 13-year-old son, dressed and ready for church. He said, and I looked at my son, and he looked at me, and he said to me, Dad, aren't we going to church? And my friend said to me, he said, I don't ever want to miss church for something like that again. Because he said, here I've been working so hard to show consistency to my son so that he would follow God like I want to follow God. And I was tired. We were tired. We did stay out late. And you're going to have family times and all that. But he said, I don't want to ever hurt that example to my son again because parents, if what you say doesn't match up with what you do, it will provoke your children to anger and it will discourage them in their spiritual walk with the Lord. Children, this doesn't take away your responsibility to obey. Because it's easy as a child to get frustrated, isn't it? Get frustrated with the mom. Get frustrated with dad. Why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Boy, they could be a lot more helpful than they are right now. It's hard being a young person. It's hard being a teenager. Children, God did give you your parents to help you. But he's given you something even better than mom and dad. He's given you himself, a heavenly father who's there to help you. So if you're going through a hard time right now at home with mom and dad, I want you to know God is there to be with you. God loves you. And he'll help you but you'll have to keep giving it to him over and over. But parents, don't provoke your children to anger. A second way I think that parents can provoke their children to anger is by inconsistency in discipline and spiritual habits. This will frustrate your child. If one day they get in trouble for this, this, and this, and then the next day those same things are okay all of a sudden. 
And it seems like discipline is more dependent on whether or not mom or dad is tired or busy at that time. I had an older parent tell me this a long time ago when we were first having kids. He said, be careful of TPS. And I said, what's TPS? And he said, tired parenting syndrome. I get it. You're tired. And you think, just here, go play on my phone. Here, go watch this on TV. Here, go outside. Leave me alone. Parents, it is exhausting work to be a parent. You need the grace of God to help you do that as well. But inconsistency and discipline will frustrate your child. Number three, losing your temper and self-control will frustrate your child. Provoke them to anger. You say, I don't see all these points in the passage. No, this is, it's a very open-ended. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, that they be not discouraged. These are just practical things that I've observed in my life and as I give you this list, my kids could probably tell you I've been guilty of all of these at one time or another. We need the Lord's help. We can't do this alone. Number four, unrealistic expectations will frustrate your child. And I think this is a challenge, especially for parents with multiple children. Often you parent your oldest child a certain way and he or she's growing and doing things. But as, as you get down to the younger ones, you go, well, I don't know if they were quite at that stage yet. And so you, there becomes a very different approach to your parenting between your older children and your younger children or between your boys and your girls. And that takes a lot of wisdom and prayer and discernment because each child is a little bit different. Each one does require a little bit different type of thing. But we need to be consistent in our parenting. And then one final thought, a lack of praise will frustrate your child. If the only things they ever do are wrong, and you can't find anything good that they're doing, that can tend to provoke them to anger and frustrate and discourage your child. I would even venture to say that children who only get attention when they're doing wrong will tend to do wrong more often just to get more attention. Your children want your attention. And they'll do whatever is necessary to get a little of your time. lack of praise will frustrate your child. And what's the result of a discouraged child? Well, a, a discouraged child won't see the value of obedience. Well, why would I go to all this effort to obey my parents to please the Lord? I'm discouraged. I don't feel like it. I'm frustrated. Think about it. When you're discouraged, do you want to go out and give your best? No, you're discouraged. You're pushed down. You feel weak. You feel tired. A discouraged child will maybe even view obedience as impossible. Every time I try, it just doesn't work, and I just fail. Parents, you're the parent. Be the parent. Your child 
should obey you. Your child must obey you. But you also have to give them a reason to obey. Be worthy of their obedience. Don't discourage them through your actions. When I spent eight or nine years as a youth pastor, I'd get questions all the time from parents. Their child would turn 14, 15 years old and decide, I don't really want to go to church anymore. And they'd come to me. Parents wouldn't say, well, does my child, should, do you think it's right for me to tell my child they have to come to church? I said, well, do you tell them to brush their teeth? Well, yeah. Why? Because it's good for them. Do you make them go to school? Yes. Why? Because it's good for them. It's okay to make your child come to church. But parents, be careful with that. Because if you're dragging them, kicking and screaming to come to church, and they're just frustrated about it, there's a whole lot deeper problems going on. You've lost their heart. Don't provoke them to anger, lest they be discouraged. A discouraged child will often find someone else to encourage them. Parents, I, I think based on, you know, if you think of the opposite of what this verse is saying, we ought to be the primary encouragers of spiritual growth in our children's lives. But if the only person encouraging them spiritually is their Awana teacher or their Sunday school teacher, eventually they won't see you as very helpful in their spiritual growth. They'll be discouraged by you and they'll look for encouragement somewhere else. And in the long run, that can lead to very unhealthy things. Not just in the relationship between parent and child, but even in causing that child to stray away from the Lord completely, looking for someone else that will just show them some attention and encourage them and help them. Parents, we are to be the primary encouragers of our children's spiritual growth. Ultimately, a discouraged child may walk away from the Lord. So how can you be a parent that pleases God? Well, first of all, be risen with Christ. Just like how can you be a child that obeys their parents? Make sure you're risen with Christ. If you do not know today that you are on your way to heaven, that your sins have been forgiven, you can't be a child that pleases God and you can't be a parent that pleases God. And I would challenge you before you even leave today that you would take some time in your own heart, in your seat, where you're at, or come talk to me afterwards and let's pray and talk to God and ask God to forgive you of your sin and He'll save you, He'll cleanse you, and He can set you on the right path. So you mean all my problems are going to be gone? No more issues? Well, there's always scars, there's struggles, there's pain, there's difficulty, but you'll have help where you haven't had help before. You'll have peace where before you knew no peace. God can help you to do that. But I think Ephesians 6.4 sheds a little more light on this. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So live obedient to Christ yourself. right? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This carries the idea that you're there with them. right? It's hard to bring someone up. Along with it, when you're like, uh, you go up over there, right? No, come up with me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
Love your children as Christ loved you. Your children will mess up just like you mess up. Be willing to forgive and, by the way, parents, to ask for forgiveness just like you want God to forgive you when you ask Him for forgiveness. It's okay to ask your children to forgive you when you've done wrong. Especially as believers in Christ, they're not just your children, they're your brother or sister in Christ. Make it right. Parents whose children are grown, I would even encourage you, be willing to go back to that adult child and ask forgiveness for something in the past if there's something there. Children, don't be afraid to go back to your parents, even if you're out of the home and say, Mom, Dad, forgive me. I did wrong. Make it right. Don't let sin break up a wonderful family because people are unwilling to ask forgiveness and make it right. And then finally, point them to Christ's example by your example. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Parents, it's easy to fall into traps like, well, this is how my parents always did it, and I turned out all right, so I'm just going to do it the same way with you. Your parents may have done a fantastic job, but you need to make sure that what you're doing is because it's what the Bible teaches, and not just because you had some good experience along the way. Why is that important? Because we want our children to base what they're doing not on just what we say as parents, but on what God says. And if I'm unwilling to parent based on what God says, and I'm only parenting based on what Grandpa says, then my parenting can get off track. Provoke my children to anger. Discourage them in their obedience of the Lord. These are very convicting things to me because this is right where I'm living in my life right now. Some of you are right here. Some of you are a little bit past this. Some of you are coming into these stages. But parents, children, the family, this is a relationship that is ordained by God, and it is one of the most beautiful relationships ever. But as you also know, family can be one of the most awful places as well. Because Satan loves to take God's beautiful things by adding sin, twist it up, and tear it down. May we have the Lord's help. To parent as he would have us to parent, and boys and girls to obey as he would have us obey, to please the Lord. That little boy in the cabin with me that night, after he said, asked that question, well, why do you have to bring God into it? And I answered, well, because God's in everything, because he's God. It was really neat because the rest of that week, he didn't have any issues going to sleep at night. He didn't want to stay up and talk with his friends anymore or he wasn't doing it anymore because he understood there was a bigger priority. There was something more important and for him, putting it in the context of obedience to God, 
helped him to be able to overcome the distraction of his buddy in the bunk over saying, hey, hey, hey. I'm thankful I didn't get duct taped the rest of the week. I didn't get shaving cream the rest of the week. I still laid awake listening for those creakings of the beds. But God helped us, and I think in part, because those boys learned a very important lesson. And I think this is a lesson for parents as well. It, it was summed up in the camp verse that we used to say every day, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Father, help us. There may be some parents here today who need to recommit to you in their parenting. They've been reminded this morning of something or many things perhaps that they've been struggling with. And Lord, I pray that they would come to you today and, and recommit themselves some moms, some dads who would say, God, with your help, we want to be parents that please you. We don't want to provoke our children to anger. We don't want to see the statistics continue to repeat themselves and even get worse. We want our children to go forward in faith and following you. Parents, if that's you this morning, I would just invite you to come down here, maybe even moving out of your chair and making that kind of public commitment to say, God, I want to do that. I want to follow you. I want to be faithful. I would invite you to come right now. Just slip out of your seat. There's plenty of room. We're socially distanced. Come down here and pray and ask God to help you to be the parent that you need to be. And boys and girls, maybe you're here this morning. And God's spoken to your heart about your obedience. Maybe you need to go to your mom or dad and say, Mom, pray for me. Dad, pray for me. I need help. I need the Lord's help to obey because I want to please God. The piano is going to start playing here in just a moment. And when she does... Just go to where you need to go. Maybe it's staying right there in your seat. Maybe it's coming down here. Maybe it's going and finding your parent. Parent, maybe it's you going and finding your child. Maybe for some of you, you're going to have to leave here today and call somebody on the phone. Ask God to help you to be the person that he wants you.